welcome. Welcome to the porch on Firefall Talk Radio. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, not just any basics. By examining the Word of God and especially focusing on the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord and follow their example. The Porch Online Bible Study takes a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God as well as a deeper look into the Word of God. Our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence that the early church had. By digging deep into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created because that's the church we need right now. Church age is not over. What happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, with Jesus of Nazareth, and you want more, then join us on this journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do here, and we hope that you will, on that main page for Firefall Talk Radio, there are ways to do so. If you need more information, just ask. We appreciate your support and encouragement for all of you that do, and welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms at which we hope that you're subscribing to know when a new podcast is up, and you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you need prayer or you want to pray for others, contact us. Remember, we care about you. I pray every day for every name of every person that I know in the porch community. If I don't know you by name, then I pray for you as a listener or a member of the community. So you're being prayed for. That's important. Prayer is necessary, it's vital, and it's something we must do more of in the days ahead. Father, we praise you. We love you. You are an awesome Abba. You are everything to us. There is none like you. You sent Yeshua to die for us because you wanted to be back in right relationship with us. And, Lord, we thank you for doing it, for shedding your blood, for taking our place, for being nailed to the cross, scourged, beaten, stabbed, and every drop of blood flowing from that body to wash away our sins so that when the Lamb's book of life is opened, we have been blotted out. Our sins have been blotted out. You can look at the Father and say, these are mine. And we will enter into paradise. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do for us, for being with us. We ask you to be with us tonight. We thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord, everything you've given us, our homes, our families, our furry kids, some people call them pets, all of our possessions, all the technology I have in this room, the fact that I'm even sitting here right now to do this. We praise you. Begin to praise them. Begin to tell him right now what first thing that comes to mind, what you are thankful for. Start doing it first thing in the morning. Do it in the middle of the day. 
Do it at the end of the night. Get your praise on, as some of my brothers and sisters say. Protect the technology. Protect us. Let this word go forth and do everything you desire it to do. We pray this in the name above all names, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. As I said, I'm thankful to be here right now. As of this afternoon, about 2 or 3 o'clock, I was not sure I was going to be here. And the reason for this Bible study is something I learned over the last 36 hours, day and a half, whatever it was, from the time I went to the ER and then got put in a hospital room and they figured out what was wrong. And while I was sitting there, I was just thinking, you know what, Lord, you could have told me this at home. You didn't have to put me through this. There'll be, you know, there'll be some leftover bills after insurance pays for things. You could have just said it to me. And then he told me why he didn't do it. Simply put that it was to remove medication that I was on and the doctor would not have done it had this not happened and him being forced to remove it. You know, doctors think they're God. They're not. They're practicing medicine and they're practicing on us. But anyway, as I sat there, I said, all right, let me see if I can work on the Bible study. I had uh, Jesse bring me my iPad and The file that I wanted to pick up last week's teaching, I couldn't access for some reason. And there was another one on there, and I reread it. And I said, no, no, I don't don't think so. And the Lord said, yeah, I do. And that's the one you're going to do. So, of course, it's not that one. I have updated it to talk about what we're talking about. So I came home and got to work to get ready for this. I could have easily taken the night off. I'm going on about three Three and a half, maybe four hours sleep. Everything I've been through, I could have made the excuse. But you know what? When you have a calling, and that calling is to preach the word, and that calling is to minister to his children, there are no excuses. It's his will, his way. It's what he wants, and that's what we're called to do. And that's why I'm here right now. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. This is in the Lord's Prayer, but I'm keying on this scripture. It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, we pray that. We say that. But do we mean it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no questioning his will in heaven. Those that did got cast out. There's no second guessing. Second, what's second guessing? I don't know. I guess I'll figure it out. Second guessing his will in heaven. So why do we do it here on earth? Why do we question it? 
So we pray that scripture, but I don't think we really mean it, to pray for his will to be done on earth, just as it is there. We don't make it our food. We don't hunger for it. We don't seek it as Messiah did. We think we understand it. We, we try to do it from the heart. At least most of us do. I've met too many that don't. We need to live it out, as I did over the last day and a half, and as I've done most of my walk with the Lord, most of my calling. A lot of things I don't understand. And I tell them that. And if you lack wisdom, the Holy Spirit will give it to you. And sometimes that wisdom is, don't ask why. We need to do it from the heart. We need to live it out. See, his will, his desire is for all to be saved, and that should be our will. His will is that we not be conformed to this world. His will is that we should live in holiness sanctification, and honor. It's not easy. I'm not going to say that it is. I know many of you have gone through stuff and you just, I don't, I don't understand. And it's right, we don't. We don't have the capacity to understand. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every, he knows every aspect of the effect of our being obedient, not just to us, not just to our loved ones, but to everyone around us. And we have to trust him. We have to trust that he knows what he's doing. In praying for God's kingdom to come soon, it says, your kingdom come. The Lord was teaching his disciples to pray for the Father's divine nature of justice righteousness, peace, and mercy to be established. So many of those things are not seen in the world, and they're not seen in his church. Justice, righteousness, peace, mercy, outside of God's will, no one will be permitted into his presence. Remember Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Obedience is necessary, and you should want to do it. And I'm not saying this to, to glorify myself. I'm just giving you the thought process of what went on today when he told me not to put up an old Bible study, not to just slap something together, but that this was what he wanted. His will, his way, that's what this is about. And therefore, it's my will to do his will. Matthew twelve fifty, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He, they're family. We should want to please the Father. It shouldn't be a struggle. In Matthew 21, starting with verse 28, he offers a parable. And he says, but what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go, work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and he went. 
Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. So which of the two did the will of his father? And the answer from the crowd was the first. That's right. Even though he said he didn't want to, he did it. So Yeshua said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. I'm sure the Pharisees and Sadducees like that. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe in him or believe him. On earth as it is in heaven, we do what he desires. David, King David understood this. First Chronicles 29, starting verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Remember, David David was not filled with the Holy Spirit. He did not have access to the throne room the way you and I do. And yet he understood. Holman Bible Dictionary says the will of God is God's plan and purpose for his creation and for each individual. What is his plan for you? Do you even know? Have you asked him? Have you sought it out? And I can tell you that what I first thought was his plan for me has evolved, has changed, has grown over the years to where I finally get it. And I'm not even sure I get it completely because more revelation will come. Many things I thought I would be doing at this point, I have not done yet. Many dreams and visions that he showed me have been revealed to be what he desired, but those people did not desire to do his will. The biblical perspective on the universe is that that it is created, it is sustained, and providentially governed by God. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. Have you ever watched the news or seen something going on and said, Lord, why do you allow this? Why won't you stop this? Well, if he wanted to, he would. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is written within my heart. How did David and those people understand this? And they were not born again because they loved him with all of their heart. David, a man after God's own heart. God's will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. Remember that the next time you wonder or question. It's 
good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who are you proving it to beside yourself? Everybody around you, family and friends, everybody you come in contact with, the circle that you influence as you travel through this world, you prove to them his good and acceptable and perfect will. So many people are caught up in religion and not relationship. In relationship, I reveal my Father to the world. I reveal it to others. And as I've told you, I did not have a good earthly father. That's actually an understatement, but I don't need to go any further than that. But I have a heavenly father who is good. He is perfect. And because of that, I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be transformed. I want my mind to be changed And it's very difficult when everything around you is trying to interfere with that or remold it to their uh, desires. We see that in media and, and everything that's going on in the world right now. Man, us, Adam, and on were created upright and righteous, holy, set apart, but a choice of that man brought about the fall. We talked about that in Genesis 3. Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine says, Truly this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I've met so many people that want to do good and can't. And we talked, you know, from Romans about it's the sin in them. But They're not demonically possessed. Well, maybe some of them are, but most people choose. They choose to do what they want. They choose to get what they want. Humans can't blame anyone but themselves for their actions, for their temptation, for their sin. And remember, sin is anything against God, anything that disobeys him, anything that goes against his will. And the natural mind, the reason you want it transformed, it can't accept the perfect will of God. It takes a redeemed, born-again mind. Are you born again? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart and became a new creation, born from above? Have you been changed from the inside out? Remember, we haven't got our glorified bodies yet, and boy, do I wish it would be delivered earlier than it's supposed to be, but we know that's not going to happen. Until then, I'm dealing with my DNA and my ancestry, and I pray against it. And you know from reading the book, The Supernatural Battle, that I know how to pray against it. But the fact is, I still have this old shell. The inside is new. It's changed. The spirit is new. My mind, for the most part, is new. 
the body not so much. That's why you should desire to be born again. That's why you should desire your family and your friends and those that you care about to be born again. And I get it. When I was growing up, remember I said I was Roman Catholic in New York, Roman Catholic. That word born again, when somebody would say that to me, or I'd see the street preachers or the Jews for Jesus on the subway subway platforms, it would just rile me up. It would make something inside of me grind my teeth. When part of that was the spirit inside of me didn't agree with it, but the other part was I knew I didn't fit that description. Oh, I'd been dunked or sprinkled on and slapped and done all the things that the ritual part of the church does, but I wasn't born again. I wasn't a new creation. I tried to be good, but I couldn't be because the carnal mind is enmity. It's hatred against God. It's hatred against its creator. It's hatred against our Abba. Why? Because it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Romans 8, 7. Are you with me? Are you getting it? I wish we were in a, gr- a room together and I could hear an amen, and, and I know you are getting it. But unfortunately, right now, as tired as I am, if I was in a room and Joe Citrone was is there, and if you've ever listened to Reflections in the Dark, you know that what would happen is we would get very silly, and that's not what this is about. Titus one fifteen. To the pure, all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. You know, I used to read these scriptures, and I understood what was being said, but I had not experienced it. I had not seen it. The more I studied, the more I walked in the world to do the things I did, being not of the world, I'm in the world, I saw this. Well-meaning people, people that thought they were good, were defiled in their minds and their conscience, which means I was once like that. Kind of bothers you when you think about that, right? Or you can say, I don't understand, and you're right, you don't. Your mind, unless your mind is submitted to the supernatural mind of Messiah, you know, sometimes when I pray, I claim the mind of Messiah, and I cast down every vain imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, El Elyon, God Most High, my Abba Father. My mind has to be set on things above not on things on the earth, Colossians 3, 2. You know what happens when you set your mind on things on the earth? Even if they're, I don't want to say good, reasonably clean. They're not, you know, what you would call whole, unholy or demonic or defiled. The fact is the minute you set your mind on them, they take you down the road to those other things like one of those moving sidewalks that you get on. You think, oh, this is nice. Oh, wait a second. I don't want to see that. I, why, why am I going here? This isn't where I want to go. And you can't get off it because it's got those little barriers. And you need to set your mind on things above. 
in the days ahead, the deception of the enemy, which is what we talked about, and we're going to pick it up and finish that next week. It ties into all this. God's good that way. My father's good that way. If he tells me to do something, it all ties together better than I could have designed it. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Oh, we want to talk about politics. We want to talk about what's going on in the world. This person did this, and did you see what happened in this city? And the social media is filled with those things. And I'm at the point I don't want to know. I don't want to see it. If I need to remember it, the Lord will tell me, and I'll save the file, or I'll save the video and probably use it in a a seminar or a teaching or one of those things. But the point is, the minute you start thinking about them, you've taken your mind from above, and brought it down. It's no longer pure. It's no longer lovely. It doesn't have virtue. And it's definitely not praiseworthy. You know what praiseworthy is? That I'm sitting here. What's praiseworthy is that he allowed certain things to happen to put me in a position to get answers that I would not have gotten answers in the natural, even if he had told me, go get these answers, because the other side of the equation, the doctors involved, would not have given them to me. But he put them in a position where they had to tell the truth, that one of the medications I was on was detrimental to my health, to my heart. So he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? The only way to find God's will is to set your mind on the heavenly and not on the earthly. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of his ways are tied to his will. And his will is found in his word. If you're wondering if you're in the will of God, well, does it line up with the Word of God? He will not go against His Word. He will not defy Himself. He will not deny anything He has said or done. Could He? Absolutely. He's God. He can do whatever He wants, and that's what people will tell you. Oh, Richard, you got to think outside the box. God can do whatever. You let me Let me say this. You want to think outside the box? That's fine. Just don't think outside the book. If it's not in his word, it's not him. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word, both the rhema and the logos, the living and the written, The word that God speaks is alive. It's full of power. It's full of dunamis, dynamic, explosive power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating the divining line of the breath of life, soul, and the immortal spirit, 
and the joints and the marrow, which is the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the human heart. Wow. Why would you not want to know the Word of God, both living and written? The the dynamic, powerful capabilities of the Word are clearly featured in Hebrews 4.12. The nature of God's Word, life-giving communication. The word here translated as powerful, energes in Greek, is the source of the English word energy. It's sharp. It penetrates. But it does it. The thing about a sharp two-edged sword, if you don't know anything about blades, I just happen to. I couldn't tell you how many I'm surrounded by right now. But sharp two-edged swords close the wound on the way out. The flesh comes back together. It's so sharp that if you even just barely touch it, it will cut you. Lean it up against your clothing. You have now got a cut in your clothing. So the Word of God is precise. It's surgical. It's laser-like, but it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't hack you apart. It gets right to the place it needs to get to. Life-giving and life-saving. It, it gives you life. It gives you the motivation. It gives you the purposes of what is going on in your heart. And it gives you that ability through its power, through its purpose, to not merely discover or understand the purposes or the merit of a man's actions, but to reveal the hidden motivations. Sometimes people can do the right things for the wrong reasons. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4.13 comes right after the 4.12. Numerically, that would make sense, but it comes right after the part about the word. There is no creature, listen to me, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You don't think he saw you? He did. He saw me. And then when I stand before him, my DNA will read it back to him. That's frightening. Every word, every thought, every action recorded in your DNA. You'll have to give an account, just as I will, whether we did it his way or our way. Did you follow your will or his will? If you want, you could live by a slogan. If it's God's will, I will. We sometimes mess up. Many times I've thought I was doing his will, when in actuality I was doing what I wanted his will to be. That's the difference between Isaac, the perfect will of God, and Ishmael, the permissive will of God. And we know what a mess that made. The reality reality is 
you won't always get it right. Let me let me offer you some relief. We don't always get it right. More often than not, we will get it wrong and be off the mark. But guess what? If we confess our sins, he is right and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, 1, 8, 9. So what do you do? You try. You do your best. And if it's off, if you've missed the mark, you immediately repent. You immediately seek the Holy Spirit's guidance on how to get it back on track. His will, his way, his word, and his will is always found in his word. I was deceived. The two will always line up. I was deceived when I was before I was born again. And I was being shown why I was able to do the things I could do in the occult. And I was shown scripture out of context. Oh, okay, he must, this must be good. This must be from God, but it went against his word. Once I understood that, once I understood that I was being lied to, I was being deceived, the scales began to fall off my eyes. His way, his will, his word. And finding his will in his word is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. You can't do it without him. If you think you can, you're mistaken. Romans eight twenty six through 28. And the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. What I went through over the last day and a half... If I did not believe that, if I did not understand all things work together for good, I could have easily gotten bitter. I could have easily gotten upset. But that's why you need the Spirit. The Spirit tells you, tells you what to pray for. And if you don't know, He may give you a heavenly language. He may give you a language you've never spoken or heard before. So that you can plead, so that you can pray. When I was raised as a Catholic, and I'm not hitting on the Catholic, I'm just giving, well, maybe I am, but I'm just giving you my, my background. Pray to the Our Father and the Hail Mary, and which I could do like a machine gun. I mean, I could fire that out across the room. I was just speaking words. They didn't mean anything. Even though the, the, the Our Father's in the Bible, the other stuff, not so much. Not at all. But through the Holy Spirit and through the, the, the understanding of the Spirit, I could pray them now with understanding. And there are times when I don't know how to pray and the Spirit takes over for me. Whether I'm interceding for others or for myself, as I've told you, the Lord's revealed to me that during the period of time where many were fighting for my release from the demonic, 
and the things that held me, that he was waking up people. He told me specifically, this elder, this older woman, he kept waking her up in the night to pray in her prayer language for somebody that she did not know who she was praying for, which was me. Somebody's praying for you. Every prayer has a background and a foreground. It has a place it's come from and a place that it's going. The the intense, immediate desire that God has for the outcome of that prayer that's absolutely necessary for that soul to have. See, only the Holy Spirit knows that. Even if I said to you, hey, hey, I need you to pray for so-and-so, you would really have to stop and ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray? I don't want to get in your way. I don't want to interrupt something that you're doing. Been there, done that. Have prayed what I thought I should pray. Have done what I thought I should have done and created Ishmael's, created his permissive will and come up on the short end of it. You learn from your mistakes. But the Lord, Yeshua, understood this in in such an intimate, simple way. In John chapter 4, when he meets the woman at the well, and the disciples have left to go find food, and they find food after the woman has gone back to town to tell everybody who she's met. The disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. This is starting John four thirty one, And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. He, he was witnessing. He was speaking. He was saving this woman who was now telling the town. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And of course, the Lord knew what they said. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Wow. And what happened? Jump down to John 4.39. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Yeshua because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. He is Messiah. That was the food. That was the will of the Father. We see a picture of this with Yeshua in Gethsemane. Mark 14, starting verse 32, And they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And a little further, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further, and he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. 
Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He saw, he felt, he knew what was about to happen to him. And then they, he came back and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter to, into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. Now remember, they had the Last Supper. They had food. They had wine. Like after Thanksgiving dinner and everybody's asleep around the room, they're asleep when they should be praying because their eyes are heavy. And they didn't know what to answer him. And then he came a third time. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand because he saw Judas. They were supposed to be praying. They were supposed to be interceding. But they weren't. They missed it. They missed that moment. See, we have this desire to escape death and live, but there stands, like for him, a craving to do the will of God. The Father called Yeshua. What he had called him to do seemed to the natural mind a disaster, horrendous. It's prophesied, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It really wasn't something he could pass up, but he had the option. But he chose to do it. Yeshua called his disciples to see him put to death. And every one of their hearts were broken. They didn't understand. This wasn't what they thought. This wasn't how it was supposed to happen. Judas got so distraught over the end result of his choices, instead of waiting and seeking forgiveness, he hung himself. He didn't have to. That was his choice. But what seemed like a failure, what seemed like against the will of God was a tremendous triumph for the will of God to redeem mankind. Because our Father who is in heaven. His purpose is never man's purpose. It's always what he knows to be best for us. And there will come a baffling call in your life. Been there doing it right now. I know the end result. I just don't. I know the view on the way, but I don't know the real road. And eh, I'm just on a journey. But the call of God can never be stated explicitly because it's implicit. It's his will, his way. Remember, what you think will get you there may not be the path, may not be the the map that he uses. The call of God on your life is like the call of a sea to a sailor. 
No one hears it but the one who has the nature of the sea in him. And I can tell you what I think the Lord wants me to do, and I'm pretty confident in most of it, but just recently, he, I don't want to say he changed it, he updated it. Shockingly so. Because it's what his will is, and he will do it his way. And the test is to believe that God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's after. He knows where you're going even when you don't. And these things don't happen by chance. What happened to me over the last day and a half didn't happen by chance. And I can tell you, anyone knows me, normally if something happens, I write it out. I pray, I wait for the healing, and I write it out. But I felt compelled yesterday morning to drive myself to the hospital and go to the ER because he was working something out that I would not have understood. He works out his purpose for each one of us. So if we're in communion with the Father, if we pray, if we know, and we recognize everything I'm saying to you, it won't matter if we don't understand what he's doing. It'll only matter that he wants us to do it. And as we get further in this walk, it gets simpler and we learn more. We're less inclined to question things like, well, why did God allow this? Ah, that's exactly what I said. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. There is a divinity that shapes our ends. A Christian is one who trusts the wits and the wisdom of God, not his own wits. If we have a purpose of our own, it destroys the simplicity and the leisureliness which ought to characterize the children of God. We should be going with the flow, however the Spirit takes us. Wherever the wind of the Spirit wants to blow, our sails should take us in that direction instead of us fighting the sails. Yeshua said in John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The will of the Father is restoration, it's salvation, it's you being with him in paradise for all of eternity and all the things that lead to that. Brothers and sisters, everything else is a distraction. Ephesians 1, starting verse 4, just as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah to himself, meaning the Father, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence 
having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Messiah, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, our focus should be the, what the Lord's focus was, translating people from darkness to light. That's always been something I've understood. I always understood it primarily through spiritual warfare. I now understand that spiritual warfare is just one aspect of doing that. But I also understand this. There will be resistance. The enemy's not just going to give up and retreat it's going to fight for what it believes is his. And there may be casualties. There may be injuries. There may be things that happened in war, things that I don't like, things that I don't want to experience, not just personally, but as a leader of people. But it's a part of the deal. First Peter 2, verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Messiah suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his footsteps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. I love that phrase. He is your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. By his stripes, by his wounds, by his blood, you are healed. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are healed of every wound, of everything anything's ever done to you, what your family's done to you, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your cousin, whoever they are. He knows what they did. He knows what they were going to do. You're healed. You're saved. You're redeemed. I know because he did it for me. So it gets back to we want his best, but we don't want his will. Paul understood that. Paul understood that when he got saved, when he got knocked off his high horse and blinded and... Ananias, the disciple at Damascus, was sent by the Lord in a vision. Go to a street called Straight, this is Acts 9, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, 
And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind us all who call on your name. I mean, Ananias is stating what he believes is right, and why is the Lord doing this? And Yeshua said, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias did what he was told, and he went, and he laid hands and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, Adonai Yeshua, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his eyes, like scales, fell off his eyes, and he received his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he ate food and was strengthened. And Saul spent many days with the disciples at Damascus. But you know what? Saul suffered. He was beaten. He was bound. He was afflicted. He was left for dead. That was God's will for him. We may not understand that. We may not understand when something happens to us that's uncomfortable. I mean, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. Faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, beside all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. So who is weak? without feeling that my feeling that weakness. Who's led astray, and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of Adonai Yeshua, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aratus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape him. It was the Lord's will that Paul suffer those things. It's his will and his ways, and he wants nothing else from us. He controls it all. We're a vessel. He has put his spirit inside of us, and he's called us to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That perfect will of God from Romans 12 is that you be saved, that you be his son, that you be his daughter, that you be filled with his Holy Spirit, that you move in signs and wonders, that you destroy the work of the enemy, that you tear down the kingdom of darkness, that you make straight the path and the highway, 
for the return of the king. His will is for his best for you, and his best for you may not always seem what the world would think. Lord, Adonai, we love you. And to the best of our ability, we trust you. Therefore, Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that better. My brothers and sisters, especially those new in the faith, they want to, but they're struggling. So I'm asking you to do what I know that you do, is to help them, walk with them, teach them, speak to them. And if they desire to be filled so that the manifestation of the fruit and the gifts are in their life, I pray that you would do that right now for them as they listen. Because the world needs it. The church needs it. They don't need people sitting in pews and spectators. They need doers and movers and shakers, people that lay hands on the sick so that they can recover, that cast out demons, that raise the dead, that heal the sick. Come on. Let's be what we were called to be. Let's live out the will of God. Let's do it his way. Let's do what his word says. Let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And I sincerely pray that these words, which are his words, by the way, do what his will desires them to do. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, may Adonai, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.